0: The Rural Radio Network goes on the air. It's Friday. We've made it through another week, and it is our Friday edition of Midday. Welcome to it. I'm Dirk Christensen, and welcome to the Roundtable, where we talk about what you will be hearing, all kinds of very beneficial information on its way to you in the next hour and a half to two, so stick with us right now, though, over to uh, a friend's kitchen table. Sounds like just a little over-the-fence work here today, Susan.
1: You know, it is. Thank goodness for having friends because uh, my work car had some major recalls from the company that, you know, made the car. So it's in the shop and it's an all-day process. So I, I jokingly rent the end of her kitchen table to be able to work today
0: so it's so neat the way journalism works today you can literally pick up the story from any point on the globe that's pretty cool
1: exactly exactly now you have
0: you have dug up a new partnership that's going on between Mississippi State and NCTA tell us about that
1: you bet you know we had we had the story on the website here about a week and a half or so ago but NCTA at Curtis along with the folks in Mississippi have come together to put a poultry program. It's the first ever in the state of Nebraska where you can get a degree in poultry science. And with the expansion that we're seeing across the state, it's a great partnership. So students spend time at NCTA Curtis, and then they spend a semester in Mississippi, as well at the university, being able to uh, complete that degree program. Well, that's going to come up at 1-17. 12 of course, it's our Friday time with Al Guster And I have talked to so many producers that a Spring Fever Let's see if he actually uh, brings that to light as to what we're going to expect in this next week's forecast. Then at 12.45, Tim Lust, who is CEO of the National Sorghum Producers, talks about the recent investigation that's been launched by China into U.S. sorghum and how it might actually affect our sorghum industry. So, mm. lots of things happening on a Friday.
0: Absolutely. Alright, we'll listen with interest. Thank you very much, Susan. And over to Jason Jorgensen we go.
2: Second day in the State High School Wrestling Tournament is underway in Omaha. We will have an update for you, as it looks like some good team races are shaping up so far. Also, it seems hard to think about, but Husker baseball starts this I afternoon. Know you know, Susan was just talking about everybody's got spring fever. Well, if you needed a glimpse of spring fever, the Huskers will be playing down in Arizona this weekend.
0: That just floored me when I yeah. saw that game on mm-hmm. the schedule. Yeah, I was like,
2: oh, where, oh it yeah, it yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense, as they will play this afternoon against... UC Riverside. It is expected to be another pretty decent year for the Huskers. They are predicted to finish second in the Big Ten. Coming up, we will get the thoughts from head coach Darren Erstad about that. Also, the Husker women will try to keep it rolling tomorrow with a big game against Indiana. And we'll touch on the Olympics. So. Mm -hmm. plenty to choose from coming up in sports
0: watching a little bit of the olympics there it uh, it looks like the high expectations for the few gold medals that we have have not worked out very well
2: but then it's the winter olympics so are you surprised that's not 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 the u.s's thing Nah, not not so (laughs) much but
0: but when you've got you know the great white hope that's true it's it's always kind of a disappointment Bob brogan has our business news
3: Stocks shook off a wobbly start and are higher at midday. One of the big things that folks were waiting for was that homebuilders report. And uh, so stocks there rose following a report that new home construction jumped last month. D.R. Horton rose 1.2%. So we're watching that situation. And uh, right now, the, uh, the markets are a little bit higher at midday.
0: Very good. And it's all coming up for you on midday from the Rural Radio Network. Well, look here it's Paul Perkins with our Ag Weather here at the Midday Program, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky
4: dealer. Definitely on the chilly side right now, but we do have some milder temperatures as you head towards the west, where they are going to be on the warmer end of things for temperatures right now. Might need a
0: Ranky in some of those uh, drier areas, though, here pretty soon.
4: Exactly, especially as you do head towards Kansas. Uh Most of Nebraska right now, of course, uh, drought-free, luckily. But, yeah, to the south of the Platte River on into Kansas, it's a different story with some drier situations right now. Temperatures in the low and mid-30s over much of the southern panhandle, far southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, and northeast Colorado. But most of us with temperatures right now in the low and mid-20s, some cooler than normal temperatures today thanks to some Canadian high pressure that moved in overnight. That colder air remaining for most of the day today, that'll hold down the temperatures and once again keep it 10 degrees cooler than normal. Winds increasing out of the southwest. As that area of high pressure tracks towards the east and low pressure approaches from the west, winds breeze out of the northwest tomorrow will be in the hind the passage of a Trough of low pressure. Temperatures later tomorrow, though, warming up nicely thanks to a westerly downslope flow. Fire weather concerns, though, increasing as you head towards those drier areas of Kansas where the moisture supply hasn't been as good, and we do see some warmer and drier air move in. It will be even warmer on Sunday thanks to a more southwesterly flow just ahead of a cold front that arctic blast of air starts to starts to arrive in our area for Sunday night and should linger into early next week behind that front. We could see some light freezing drizzle for Sunday night could see some light still fall Monday night through Tuesday night, but not expecting any kind of a major event with those systems. A warming trend gets underway for the mid to late part of next week. In our long-term forecast, those temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas expected to start slightly cooler than normal the middle of next week. Then we will trend warmer than normal late next week through the 1st of March, and that has been the consistent trend the last couple of days with the long-term forecast, that warmer than normal trend in those later periods. Late February daytime highs in central Nebraska, nebraska usually in the low to mid 40s with overnight lows on average in the low 20s now nebraska and kansas precipitation should be near normal wednesday through march 1st weather factors influencing the markets include a chance for rain in argentina and southern brazil and possible rain for the southern plains there are a few sprinkles across oklahoma and texas as for some locations have gone more than four months without measurable precipitation the next two days uh, fast booming system will race from northwest Mexico to the mid-Atlantic and generate widespread and mostly light precipitation. Looks like our best chance of seeing some needed rain for wheat areas in the southeast plains. Early next week, significant precipitation expected across the southeast and lower midwest. Little or no moisture expected to fall across the lower southeast and the central high plains. A surge of cold air will reach the plains and much of the west early next week. Crop losses... Appear likely for Argentina, showers are in the forecast Sunday and Monday for the southern areas in the main growing belt, but that rain does not look like it will reverse the dismal outlook for corn and soybeans. The extended forecast indicates below normal rain to increase the crop stress. For Brazil, there's a chance of moderate to locally heavy rain in recently dry areas of the south Monday and Tuesday. After that, though, meaningful rain appears limited. Likely rain late this weekend through early next week in northern Brazil, Will disrupt their harvest of soybeans and also the planting efforts of second crop corn.
0: Ag Weather with Paul Perkins here in the Midday Program is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. I, I kind of misheard you there. You said it's been a long time since some of those areas have seen measurable precipitation. I thought you said miserable precipitation, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is about what it's been for some folks. Yeah,
4: for the Southern Plains, yeah, Southern Plains gone nearly four months found a measurable Plains. precipitation there. Unbelievable. Yeah, we've been getting the, the miserable precipitation here with these off and on light snows and always having to <laughs> constantly scoop. <laughs> well,
0: something is something, so we'll, we'll take every bit that we can get right now. You bet. And we'll quickly, really quickly remind you that when you need weather anytime,
5: krvn.com. A mixed outlook on land prices in early 2018, grain companies find their own solution to the tax code that replaced 199A, and the Center for Consumer Freedom sheds light on two laws that look to harm animal agriculture. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. According to the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City, farmland values remained roughly steady in parts of the Midwest while income softened in the fourth quarter of 2017. Prices for cropland in the district, which includes states like Kansas and Nebraska, slipped 3% from a year ago, marking a shallower decline than in recent years. Farm income continued to drop and credit conditions remained poor, the Federal Reserve Bank said, but relatively strong land values are propping up farm balance sheets despite low crop prices. On the flip side, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago says crop land values inch higher in key farm states this past year. The Federal Reserve in Chicago says prices for good farmland in the district, which includes states like Illinois and Iowa, rose 1% in 2017, stamping a three-year period of declines. This thanks to big crops in the previous year and limited land, for sale, as well as more Wall Street investor interest. Credit conditions in the district weakened further in the fourth quarter, though, with the share of farm loans with major or severe repayment issues at 6.1%, the highest since the early 2000s. In either scenario, the ag economy still hasn't caught up to the Main Street economy, which still appears fairly strong in the first few months of 2018. In other ag news, ethanol makers and family-owned grain companies are setting up new agriculture cooperatives to benefit from a provision in the law that gives farmers larger tax savings for selling crops to cooperative businesses. Executives say that if Congress doesn't change the law or if they can't get their companies recognized as farmer-backed cooperatives, processing plants could run short of crops and small grain elevators could be driven out of business. Green Plains, Inc., the world's second largest ethanol producer, buying more than 2,000 truckloads of corn every day, registered part of its business as a cooperative in January after studying the new tax law. CEO Todd Becker said, We jumped on this right away as a backup plan. While no formal solution has been announced, Congress is still feverishly working to replace tax code 199A. Finally, the Center for Consumer Freedom this week filed briefs with the Supreme Court to try to get a lawsuit where 13 Midwest states are suing California and Massachusetts over destructive trade barriers. Will Coggins, director of the Center for Consumer Freedom, tells us what the California and Massachusetts laws are.
6: Way back in 2008, the Humane Society of the United States, you know, agriculture's big uh, nemesis passed Proposition 2 out in California, and that law basically tried to force uh, California egg farmers to go cage-free in their production by a certain date. And then two years later, California politicians looked at Prop 2 and they said, hey, this law is going to be really devastating to our our state egg industry, so let's pass a law that basically says that any egg uh, sold inside California also has to be produced in a manner compliant with Prop 2, and that turned out to be enriched cage or cage-free. That law went into effect in 2015, and we saw a, a massive spike. According to Cornell, the did an analysis, an 18% spike in egg prices in California for consumers there. And then you have Massachusetts uh, in 2016. Again, HSUS was back, and they pushed a, a second ballot measure there, similar to California's but broader. So the, the measure that HSUS pushed said that by 2022, all eggs, pork, and veal products uh, sold in the state have to be compliant in sort of a cage free or crate-free production method.
5: It will take several months before the Supreme Court will come back with a decision. The end will not come with a bang, nor a slash, but with the stroke of a pen. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row, and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network.
7: It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, seeing a little bit of a warm-up this past week. A lot of the snow starting to melt off. Can we expect these temps headed into this weekend and next week as well?
3: Well, I think we uh, appreciate it this weekend, but we will be waiting for some of that warmth to return next week. We have a system that... Moving across the northern plains that brought in this chillier air, that's expected to start to scour out as it moves toward the Great Lakes region and as for tomorrow we'll probably start to see some of the warming in earnest. The warmest temperature will be across the southern part of the state where we should reach the 50 degree mark with relative ease. And then we see the troughing action in the west digging uh, even farther into the southwest. That's going to pump a lot of warm air into the region for Sunday. We should easily hit the 60 degree mark along the Kansas-Nebraska border. The farther north you go, the cooler it will be, of course. And we still should see temperatures into the lower 50s across extreme northern Nebraska. That trough starts to pivot toward the northern and central plains as we go into the day on Monday, meaning that we'll start to see some cold air moving into the northwestern part of the state. And that will slowly make its way toward the southeast during the day on Monday and sweep through the state completely as we go into the first half of Tuesday. We should see some accumulating snowfall at this time. It doesn't look to be a significant event, but with the colder Arctic air in place moving into the region, we should see several inches of snow across the northwest and north central part of the state. Maybe a little bit of freezing rain drizzle in the southeast, depending on how quickly the cold air gets, in, gets into the region, and then a slight warming trend indicated for the end of the week as yet another system comes into the Pacific Northwest and starts to carve out a trough. Now, the one thing I will mention about the models is once we get past... Next weekend, extreme differences from run to run. We're either going to be exceptionally stormy or we're going to return back to the northern stream being the dominant factor and moving back and forth between well above normal to well below normal temperatures. So the uncertainty still exists. One thing I would point out that yesterday morning, the Climate Prediction Center put out their updated long lead outlooks. And for the first time this year, we are now seeing a bullseye area below normal precipitation for the June july and august periods centered right over nebraska and kansas we hope that that does not verify but based on the rocky mountain snowpack and how poor it has been across the southern half of the rockies this would lead right into what we would expect if that snowfall continues at that pace an expanding area of dryness for the southern plains and possibly moving into the central plains as we get into the heart of the growing season time will tell we hope that this is not true But it's just to let everybody know that indeed the forecasts are starting to move closer and closer to that drier than normal trend across the central and southern plains here in the heart of the growing season.
7: That leads right into my next question, Al, talking about that drought monitor. We just put up a post looking at the picture and going over exactly what you're talking about on our website. When will we know more about that? Will we have to wait until spring to see if that's going to be the case? Or will we know a little bit sooner if we're going to be dealing with these drought conditions?
3: So I do see that the worst case scenario would be storms coming in the western United States and digging into the southwest for a more active wet pattern during the spring. But either way, I think we're going to see our moisture. Shortfalls of moisture are not significant at this point in time and not a major concern going through the spring period. It really does that heat from the south start to expand and overwhelm most of the western corn belt and really that's a function of snowpack and we have less than 45 days for us to really improve this snowpack or things are going to deteriorate as we move into the summer period
7: thanks so much nebraska extension agricultural climatologist al dutcher for more visit ruralradio.com you're listening to the rural radio network
2: You're listening to Midday on the World Radio Network, and it's time for Sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, day two of the NSAA State High School Wrestling Tournament is underway in Omaha. First-round consolations are just about set to begin in Classes A and D. The semifinals and third-round consolations for all classes are set for tonight. The Nebraska baseball team makes its debut this weekend with the first of two trips to Arizona. The Huskers are scheduled to play four games at the Husker Classic from today through Sunday in Tempe. Head Coach Darren Erstad has some experience back at the plate from last year, and he'd like to see that group take the next step forward.
8: They know what they need to do to be successful. They know how we're going to have to grind out pitchers. We're going to see some very good pitchers uh, the entire season. So we know the formula for getting that done. And you know, would we like to hit for some more power? Absolutely. Um, you know, but more importantly, we need to have better quality at bats and get more guys on base. We do that, good things are going
2: to happen. After winning the Big Ten a year ago, this season the Huskers are picked to finish second to Indiana. The Huskers open up the season this afternoon at 5 central time against UC Riverside. In Big Ten basketball, there were a couple of major upsets last night. Tony Carr scored 16 of his 30 points in the first half as Penn State beat up on 8th-ranked Ohio State 79-56. The Nittany Lions have been red-hot of late. They've won 6 out of the last 7, including 2 victories over the Buckeyes. And Ethan Happ had 21 points and 12 rebounds as Wisconsin secured its biggest win of an up-and-down season as they were able to knock off 6th-ranked Purdue 57-53. The Boilermakers, who've been one of the best teams in the country all year long, have suddenly dropped 3 straight. The Nebraska women's basketball team, they've been road warriors of late. They will face one of their toughest tests of the season as they will conclude a two-game road swing at Indiana tomorrow. Huskers go into this one 19-7 overall, 10-3 in Big Ten action. Indiana's 14-12 and on the year. They are 7-6 and in conference play. Nebraska's looking for its 11th Big Ten victory of the season. Tomorrow's game will start at 11 Central. And 13th-ranked Kansas has a big matchup tomorrow against 20th-ranked West Virginia. That one is set for tomorrow night. And Americans Michaela Schiffer and Nathan Chen are trying to figure out what went wrong for them at the Olympics. Schiffer finished fourth in the women's slalom despite winning gold in the event in 2014. And Chen wound up in 17th place in men's figure skating after failing to cleanly land a single jump in his short program. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
8: Sunny this afternoon with a high near 33. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low of around 21. And then for Saturday, sunny with a high near 44. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Nebraska State Senator Tony Vargas of Omaha presented the All Kids Health Care Program to the Health and Human Services Committee Thursday. LB-922 would extend Medicaid-like health care coverage to undocumented children in the state of Nebraska regardless of how long they lived in the state or their country of origin. James Goodard, Health Care Program Director at Nebraska Appleseed, testified in favor of the bill, saying our communities are stronger when all children are healthy. But a Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services official testified against it. Thomas Thompson said the bill would create another financial burden on the state. Bellevue Senator Sue Crawford's bill, LB-1117, to sharply increase Nebraska's cigarette tax to raise revenue to deal with budget shortfalls, was praised by health organizations and opposed by business and retail groups. The bill also got a chilly reception from some members of the legislature's revenue committee, including Senator Kurt Friesen of Henderson.
0: I know this gets a few people to quit, maybe, or not start, like right. you talked mm-hmm. The impact on the poor of putting this kind of tax on there, and, and they're unwilling to quit, uh, aren't we kind of picking on a small minority of people to
4: try and solve a problem?
1: Well, it is, also, it is um, a regressive tax in that sense. Um, it is um, imposing a tax, though, also on a small minority of the population that has a large proportion of our health care costs in the state.
8: Under Senator Crawford's bill, the state cigarette tax would be hiked from $0.64 to $2.14 a pack. It's estimated that the bill would increase revenue to the general fund by approximately $93.7 million in fiscal year 2018-19. Fremont State Senator Lynn Walls yesterday read a portion of a Facebook message from an Archbishop Bergen teacher commenting on the deadly school shooting in florida
1: since 2013 there have been 291 school shootings in the united states about one school shooting per week in 2018 we reached 18 school shootings and that's just in 45 days there are solutions it's not that hard he says figure it out america So tomorrow, he says, I'll go spend my planned period contemplating how I'll save my students, escape my back corner classroom, and fend off prospective school shooters, because that's my reality now.
8: At least 1,000 people attended a candlelight vigil near the school Thursday night. Some openly sobbed as the victims' names were read aloud. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcast and on-demand audio on your schedule. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster.
5: China launches an investigation into U.S. sorghum on claims of anti-dumping and countervailing duties as well. So what could happen to U.S. sorghum producers as well? What may happen in the future? We go to the National Sorghum Producers to find out on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton, joined now with CEO of the National Sorghum Producers Association. And uh, Tim, as we talk, what exactly is China opening an investigation about? And do we really know any causes behind why they're opening this investigation?
9: You know, what we know is on Sunday, uh, February 4th, the Ministry of Commerce in China, which is often known as MOFCOM, uh, launched an anti-dumping and countervailing duty investigation uh, into imported U.S. sorghum. And I think as we look at what that means practically for the United States, we are working very closely with our various partners and stakeholders to take all of the necessary steps to respond. I think there's a lot of confusion in the market and frankly among producers, of what this really means. Uh, First, this, this is an investigation, and we will diligently and fully cooperate to provide the facts on how sorghum was sold to our Chinese partners and the benefits of this market, both for our growers as well as our Chinese customers. Certainly this is something that is a surprise to us, sorghum farmers don't dump sorghum and and you know we don't unfairly subsidize sorghum in this country we've been very strong followers of the WTO process and so you know we're not injuring anyone in China this was a case that was self-initiated and we'll continue to work very hard through this legal process to make sure that we have a win-win outcome on the back end i do think that there's a couple of things that are tied to this process that are unclear and that is is that the market, uh, China, is, is not automatically shut off. Uh, the investigation process has just started and while these processes can vary considerably, uh, it often takes months uh, before these processes come to any sort of conclusion. Uh, in fact, the government has up to a year to get to a conclusion and they can actually extend that beyond that. I think what we have to go on and what we have to look at is kind of the facts of the trade and the facts of the situation. Unfortunately, there is uncertainty in the market, and and that has impacted prices in different areas. But even just out this morning, uh, the new export sales report showed for the week that ended uh, February eighth, which was you know four days after the announcement we had new sales of about 4.5 million bushels, and we exported about 4.8 million bushels for that week. So certainly we know that different regional areas, uh, it has had different market impacts on growers, and uh, we certainly know there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, but it's just really too early to tell, to reliably assess what the new markets this means really from an overall impact.
5: And leading up to the launch of the investigation, how much in sorghum dollars was China trading with the U.S.?
9: Well, you know, it would certainly go up and down each year depending upon the, the trade. But, uh, you know, it was a significant uh, market for us in terms of where that is. And, you know, on, on average it was $800 million or somewhere around that mark.
5: With the investigation ongoing, we're still going to continue trade, but are there any areas specifically in the US that look to be impacted more by this investigation than other areas of the US in sorghum production?
9: You know, that's a very hard question to answer because I think that's, you know, uh each company is making decisions on that and um um you know certainly there could be differences between the Gulf market and the Pacific Northwest, but uh really hard question to answer today something that we are tracking and and regularly watching and will continue to communicate with growers um you know as as more reliable information is known there.
5: And National Sorghum has a great reputation working in the global community trying to get US sorghum into other countries. If uh, it comes to worse and we start seeing a slack in the Chinese market and the Chinese buying, uh is Sor- is National Sorghum currently talking with other countries that could potentially pick up the slack if that were to occur?
9: So, you know, I'll just refer back to our sister organization, the uh, National Checkoff Program, and the Sorghum Checkoff is working very diligently, as it has for years, to uh, find market opportunities for sorghum. Uh, They continue to work closely uh, with our Chinese customers, as we know that that's a win-win relationship that, that is very positive. But, you know, I know there are other opportunities, and, you know, we have other export customers that are around the world, um, and, you know, they continue to work with some of those markets that have been buyers of sorghum for a number of years as well. Um, Mexico, Japan, Spain, um, the European Union announced last week uh, reductions of some tariffs on sorghum there. So those are the opportunities that uh, the checkoff will be looking at and uh, continuing to work on behalf of all U.S. growers to, to look where where opportunities might be.
5: That's Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers Association, talking with us about China's recent launch of investigation into anti-dumping and countervailing duties, as well talking about what currently the investigation is about. Of course, this could be a long, ongoing investigation and how the trade looks to stay rather steady throughout it. Continue listening to the Rural Radio Network. Now we go to our closing livestock future reports with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities and Joe, as we take a look, uh, live cattle being able to into the green, but really a volatile week overall.
10: Yes, it has been. It's been a volatile, uh, volatile uh, year so far, and yeah, we did uh, we did rally right into the close, uh, uh, getting all the cattle contracts at least through December higher. Uh, feeders were mixed, but. Uh, it was uh, the expectations are actually running pretty high that we're going to see uh, a pretty good trade develop this afternoon at higher money, and that's why I think uh, we saw that. Plus, we're continually getting aid from uh, funds buying uh, buying cattle uh, throughout the week. So uh, strong close and uh, uh, higher one for the week same way uh, for the Peters, uh, even though they uh, finished mixed. Uh, pretty quiet over there. Grain uh, seemed very jumpy, and that made Peters a little bit jumpy. Now, turning to the hogs, there's not such a finished, uh, finished lower uh, over there. Lower for the week uh, Cash continues to cut out Cut out rally uh, this noon.
5: That again, Joe Teal there of Great Plains Commodities joining us as we take a look. Live cattle on the front month's contracts, all ending in the green feeder cattle, ending mixed with March down 10 cents, April up 10 cents, and the lean hogs front month in triple digit losses. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
11: On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskid Dean and Dr. Ron Rosati joins me in studio at the Nebraska Soybean Board Studios at Nebraska Innovation Campus. And Dr. Rosati, you're traveling eastern Nebraska the past couple days, so tell us about your travels.
12: Well, we've had a number of meetings here, uh, Bryce, over the past three or four days. Uh, Yesterday, we uh, had a very nice meeting with Lincoln Premium Poultry. We've got a new program starting uh, at NCTA. and Consistent with our typical approach at NCTA, we visit very closely with our industry partners to make sure that the uh, quality of that program um, meets, uh, meets their needs. Um, so uh, this was our first introduction uh, with the, the whole crew there at Lincoln Premium Poultry, so we had, a, we had a very nice meeting.
11: Well, let's talk a little bit more about that project you mentioned. It's kind of in partnership or in support of the Lincoln Premium Poultry Project coming to northeast Nebraska. Talk more about uh, that specific project. It's poultry production.
12: Sure. NCTA has been charged by the Nebraska legislature with expediently responding to emerging workforce development needs in Nebraska. And one of our agricultural industries that is, is poised for significant growth is our poultry industry. Uh, we currently have uh, about a million pounds of, of broilers produced a year, and that's expected to increase tenfold here in the next few, next few years. Uh, unfortunately we don't have a workforce development program for poultry producers in the the state so to respond to that growing uh, uh, poultry industry we're adding uh, a program to um, uh, help people become skilled producers in poultry production And we're doing that in a very creative way Uh, we're partnering with one of the nation's leading expert uh, institutions Mississippi State University to offer our degree plan it will involve uh, three semesters at NCTA in Curtis and one semester uh, down at Mississippi State, Stark- Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi State's an, uh, a, a leader again in poultry production. Poultry is the number one agricultural commodity in that state. They have nine faculty experts on their, uh, in their staff that uh, have decades of commercial poultry uh, experience. Uh, they have two commercial barns on campus, a hatchery, feed mill, research facilities, Uh, a third student-run poultry barn. It's an outstanding uh, facility, very practical, very hands-on, which fits very well with the mission of NCTA, Uh, and uh, they're very graciously uh, accommodating our students in a couple of ways. They're concentrating all of their commercial poultry production courses into one semester for Nebraska residents, and they're agreeing to allow Nebraska residents to attend Mississippi State for that semester, and pay in-state tuition to Mississippi State so it's a very cost-effective program with a very high level of expertise.
11: We're talking with the Nebraska College of Tactical Agriculture Dean Dr. Ron Rosati, about this new poultry production program and I can hear in your voice that you're excited about this opportunity. Talk about the folks here in Nebraska when it comes to the poultry production are they equally excited about having this workforce here locally in the state they won't have to bring workers out from from out-of-state lines?
12: Yes uh, Initially, some of the, the, uh, the leaders in, 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 in the industry are being brought in from other states because they have experience. But the goal is to have Nebraskans run these Nebraska entities, and it's wonderful to see this industry grow this way. This poultry addition to our Nebraska egg landscape is good for a number of perspectives. Providing
11: a safe and nutritious product here locally, it sounds like some great work NCTA is doing on that front. That was Dr. Ron Rosati. He's the dean of NCTA. Thank you for stopping by our Nebraska soybean studios at Nebraska Innovation Campus.
12: Thank you, Bryce. I appreciate the opportunity.
11: On the Rural Radio Network,
5: I'm Bryce Newski. Clay Patton back on the Rural Radio Network with a look at our closing grains with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grains. And, John, before we came on for the interview, a red close, but nothing to get too excited or worried about.
13: No, I think a lot of the the kind of last fifteen twenty minutes of the session came from uh, a couple of things. There was that Russian news of, of of the FBI arresting some people. I don't think that's so much pushing the the, the dollar around. I think the uh, they're putting embargoes on some sort of export to China as far as steel goes. So they're essentially imports from China. I'm sorry, putting duties on those, and that's kind of a sign of protectionism. And that that I think is what maybe. Kind of worried the trade a little bit. We were off the highs on beans by about seven, off the lows by about, oh, I think maybe 15. At one point we were down pretty good this morning and it came right back. So, um, you know, going to the weekend, the story is the same. You got weather problems down in Brazil. Uh, U.S. corn is cheapest in the world by $10 a metric ton don't think any break is going to be a reason to sell so really producers right now i think want to figure out how aggressive they want to be as far as holding corn if you are selling here i might step aside and let the may come back a little bit uh... if you do get a chance i think to buy the may in the 360s i'd take a shot on that uh... but as far as corn and beans go still the same same story has been written all week
5: and john as we take a look at that front month march corn contract there on the technical side are we looking at about a 200 day moving average of 376 is that our next level of resistance
13: I think so. I think we can get through that. I, I really think that you could look at Deese probably running all the way up into the fours, 4.10 even. You know, I mean, it, technically things look really good. I mean, the moving average resistance is there, but there's reasons for that to be broken through. You know, this isn't just a float-up rally where we're, you know, rallying on short covering. This is, a, I think, a legit problem down there that's going to stress out, stress to a certain degree um the corn supplies we have the best way i can explain it to people is really let's say you're you, you know you and your your friend are operating individually uh and then all of a sudden your friend depends on your bank account a little bit to survive you might have a big savings account but still you have to kind of watch your spending to be able to loan that money out to to the person you're trying to support that's kind of the way the corn market is right now you have demand that is really large globally but hasn't been coming to the US US supplies are large and can handle some extra demand but it's just we're going to have to price ourselves up a little bit to, to kind of adjust for that supply drop. Um, you know, how high we go here, I wouldn't get out of control and thinking that Front of us can get above $4. But I do think a test of 380 is in the cards here if, uh, if things would get wild next week.
5: That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. If you want to contact John for more information, visit their website, com You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.